Hey folks, my name is Matthew Richards. Welcome to my humble podcast, tentatively called The Matthew Richards Show. This is my first attempt at podcasting. If it goes poorly, and it might, chalk it up to a steep learning curve. I chose this format for a very sobering reason. In an age of hyper-acceleration and rapidly atrophic attention spans, people are less inclined than ever to read a long-form, humanistic think piece. This disinclination is a bitter pill to swallow for me, a quasi-journalist of sorts, but we have no choice but to make do with the cards we're dealt. The good news is that podcasts are soaring in popularity. If ever there were a time to leverage the power of audio, this is it. And if ever there were a time to demand the racial integration of Chicago's housing market, this too is it. I am about to do exactly that. The lopsided housing rebound excluded black Chicagoans, who are scarcely better off than they were pre-crisis. To atone for this, and other sins, I propose building affordable housing in neighborhoods that would otherwise be prohibitively costly for black renters. As black and white Chicagoans began to unite under the auspices of a government-funded desegregation program, we can at last fulfill the promise of our great city. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Matthew Richards Show. I'm your host, Matthew Richards, coming to you live from undisclosed location. On a blustery Friday morning last winter, I threw caution to the wind and took a stroll around Inglewood, a troubled Southside community that is 95% black. From the moment I stepped foot here, one thing was flagrantly apparent. This neighborhood has been devastated by continued disinvestment. On every other corner, there are sickly purple aluminum signs mounted into the ground. These signs promise renewal, but that elusive TIF money either dissipated or never arrived. There's very little else to see here, beyond foreboding brick bodegas and acres of prairie strewn with trash and discarded shopping carts. Having seen the place up close, I cannot blame residents for being apoplectic. They feel that they have no voice in the political process, and sadly enough, they're not wrong. But amid the wreckage of this Battlepock neighborhood, there are solid, stalwart people working hard to escape, and to overcome a cascade of mean-spirited stereotypes. Most residents here have been funneled into a low-wage service sector where they have no hope of upward mobility. According to the Chicago Tribune, adjusted for inflation, Inglewood's median household income has barely nudged in the last quarter century. But then again, in this city, a job at the corner liquor store qualifies as an undiluted success. When census takers champion the rosy job picture in Chicago, they neglect to mention that 56% of black Chicagoans have dropped out of the labor market altogether. The blacks who are employed, according to Megan Cottrell, earn 45 cents for every dollar their white colleagues make. Education is sufficient too. Almost to a pupil, the children of Inglewood test poorly. Their math and reading scores are among the lowest in the state. This is troubling enough as a standalone statistic. The punitive approaches to instruction also discourage children from learning how to think critically. I think that so many Chicagoans live in primordial fear of these children. We're back. This is Matthew Richards, your host for this very gray and very damp Sunday night. As you may have noticed, there is a cold civil war brewing in Chicago between working class wage earners and patrician elites. The former subsidizes the latter, which naturally breeds resentment. These two groups have little in common, and their mutual disdain is self-evident. There's unanimous agreement on one thing, and go should be avoided at all costs. The white community will be smart to reevaluate its baseless certitudes. Needless to say, black Chicagoans pose a threat to no one. Historically, in fact, the reverse has been true. According to Nina Von Lockett, discriminatory hiring practices have long depressed labor participation in the black community. Putting that aside even, black Chicagoans are more vulnerable than most to race-based violence. This has been the case since the 1910s, when domestic terrorism was sometimes wielded as a cudgel to enforce segregation. During this period, dozens of black-owned properties were defaced or torched by crudely made firebombs. 
What a way to welcome recent migrants from the Deep South. Chicago's mayor at the time, William Big Bill Thompson, felt that mass racial violence had no place in polite society. But let it be understood, the mayor, a rabid cheerleader for redlining, was no less thuggish than his white constituents. He and his units assaulted the black community with numbers, a color-coded grading scale, rather than with physical force. The blacker neighborhood in Chicago, the likelier it was to be panned as undesirable by appraisers and targeted for avoidance by the lending industry. In literary parlance, redlining was a scarlet letter, a mark of death that identified black people as singularly unhealthable or unworthy of help. Behavior of this kind is alive and well even today. As Ned Dickerson points out, employers in the city routinely sneer at and assume the worst about black applicants from stigmatized neighborhoods. Moreover, many whites endorse negative neighborhood stereotypes and are apt to flee integrated neighborhoods, hence the mass exodus of white Chicagoans that accompanied the MLK riots of 1968. My proposal asks white Chicagoans to take a leap of faith and sacrifice a scintilla of comfort. It sounds scary, but I'm confident they will be pleasantly surprised. How cool was it to spend your evening with me, the indubitable Matthew Richards? Welcome back to the Matthew Richards Show. I'm so glad you're here. It's not a secret that real estate values have risen precipitously in Chicago in recent years, which has put a well for the local economy. But are these gains being distributed responsibly and equitably? You can probably guess the answer to that. We need swift and decisive action from local government. There is plenty we can do in everyday lives to foster a spirit of unity and racial harmony, but isolated good deeds aren't enough. If they were, we wouldn't find ourselves in our current predicament. We need Mayor Lightfoot and the Chicago City Council. They alone control the levers of the city. They alone can bring about lasting change. They alone can enact my proposal, our proposal, for racially desegregated housing. They alone can rewrite land use regulations, otherwise known as the zoning code. They alone can force developers in the wealthiest, most exclusive neighborhoods to rent or sell 50% of all new units to low-income African Americans. They alone can offer the right incentives to developers, every signature to carrot after all. These incentives might include a temporary reduction of property taxes, or an exemption from minimum parking requirements, or an exemption from limits on density development. According to the website Strong Towns, many developers prefer building at higher densities for reasons pertaining to the cost of construction. I am willing to be flexible. Whether developers want to make room for low-income units within existing apartments or build housing somewhere off-site, it's entirely up to them. But only the lawmakers can work with developers to iron out those details. Because Donald Trump's nihilistic gangster administration is functionally worthless, we cannot turn to the federal government at this present time. Instead, we have to rely on investors closer to home. The exact price tag is inscrutable, but suffice it to say that this project will cost somewhere around $1 billion, plus or minus a few million. I am confident, though, that investors will be receptive if we frame this as a pocketbook issue. Research has shown time and time again that desegregation is a boon for public safety. Fewer crimes, of course, mean fewer crime-related expenditures to the taxpayer to shoulder. So desegregation also makes good fiscal sense. Do you know what else is a crime? Denying black Chicagoans, black Americans, their rightful sovereignty. Hello, you. Thanks so much for tuning in to The Matthew Richards Show. You're probably wondering, why should you care about the plight of black renters in Chicago, of all places. It's very simple, because to not care is antithetical to democracy. When integrationists demand, well, integration, 
they usually do so on moral grounds. Given that America's founding crime was the subjugation of black and brown people, and given that racial oppression has been a constant throughout our history, separate neighborhoods for racial and ethnic minorities are definitionally unequal. What happens when we discourage interracial interaction, when we use restrictive covenants even, to keep people of color on the outside looking in? The answer is obvious. People of color are denied their right to full participation in our union, as enshrined in our Constitution. This was the argument put forth by a Supreme Court in the reversal of Plessy versus Ferguson. Since then, a new variant of the same argument has emerged. Jim Crow may have been struck down, and the Civil Rights Act may have been signed into law, but less explicit forms of discrimination still exist. It would logically follow then that political action is still needed. Only through legislation can we ensure full parity between black and white people. Not just in the voting booth, not just at the lunch counter, but in every aspect of American life.